on this episode of Why Watch That. I mean, there wasn't dry eye in the whole theater. Sniffling. I was weeping. I was a mess. Oh my goodness. It's funny. It's devastating. It gives you everything you could ever want in a movie. Yeah, I recommend it. And so does The Critic. We have Anthony Hopkins as the creator. We have Ed Harris as a villain, but he's not an Uh-oh. animal. And he wants to get down to the bottom of this. He has his own motives and he's not afraid to kill to get there. Go through the very plot line of Braveheart and you will find the very plot line of the birth of a nation. Why Watch That as a podcast featuring the critic and referee who go head-to-head on a quest to discover the best movies and TV shows Hollywood has to offer. Expect the unexpected from the critic. Well, nothing gets past the ref. We do all the work. So you don't have to. Welcome, Welcome to, to Why Watch, Watch That. Presented by Dynamic Network. I watched that sneak peek. Hey, hey. Look, I think the ref is going to need some support, some help you know, here. I'm going to need everything that I've got. Now, listen, listeners, we have a special report. This is considered a special sneak peek because we don't usually review documentaries here on Why Watch That. Uh, this one, we had to. It is called 13th, and we reviewed it at the New York Film Festival at its world premiere. Um, at the press screening, and it is directed by one of the most prolific directors that's currently on the screen, in the screen, behind the screen, and it's none other than Ava DuVernay, written, also put together by her and her sister, as well as a whole army of people. She uses a, a regular editor as well for most of her projects. Now, the reason why I'm fumbling around a little bit is because the 13th documentary is about the 13th Amendment, but it's specifically about a loophole within the amendment. And this is coming out this week, October 7th on Netflix. And the critic is going to tell you about this loophole and what Ava DuVernay did with it. And we're just going to share. We're going to call this a sharing. Yes. So the 13th Amendment, if you don't know, is what uh, abolished slavery in the United States, obviously. But that loophole is except for criminals. So if you've committed a crime... You can be a slave of the state. And what happens is Avery DuVernay traces the history of the effects of that, the ripple effects, and even before then in slavery. So moving through to the present time, essentially. But she focuses on certain points in history that have turned being incarcerated into a business, into a booming business, I should say. Yep. Um, and it has, uh, of course, disproportionately affected people of color. Uh, specifically in this film, it's mostly about uh, black people. Uh, they black do, males. Black mm-hmm. males, yes. They do mention uh, brown people as well. So what we get is, of course, it's a documentary. She pulls in lots of experts. A lot of them are people who are icons or who are fighting against this or writing about it to shine a light on the problems. Uh, so you get people such as um, Van Jones. You get... I mean, you get Angela Davis. Angela <laughs> Davis, yeah. Oh, Charlie Wrangle. Yes. Yes, yes. 
uh, Charles, I'm sorry, the uh, former senator. Representative. Representative, mm-hmm. sorry, representative. From Harlem, that's right. That's so, right. yeah, all of, and the, look, the Angela Davis stuff, you've got to see some of that. So, she talks to them. She also, though, talks to some people who may not be as sympathetic to the cause. We do get Grover Norquist. We, we do get a uh, representative of Alec. You'll, if you don't know what that is, you can look it up or watch the documentary even better and you'll find out. We even get Newt Gingrich. Yes, which was like, what? Who says some things that might surprise you. Yeah. What she also does is focuses on certain presidents, uh, starting with Nixon in the 70s, where we got the law and order dog whistle beginning. Going into Reagan, going into Bill Clinton, and the role that he played, and bringing in Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. Yeah. So we also see an evolution or not for the two of them throughout the movie. Yep. So she's doing a lot of different things, but again, the focus is on that loophole in the 13th Amendment. So she's not going to give you everything. She's not going to give you all of the context. It's, a, of course, one documentary with one focus. But I will say this, by the end of it, everything that led up to the end makes sense. Like, it really crystallizes in the ending and for me I said okay you got me you really got me at the end Ava she also um beautifully tells us a story via numbers and any you know most documentaries they'll have support and statistics but the way she tells the growing and increasing amount of incarceration among people of color especially black men is astounding when you see the graphs that she has, and as well as each decade or each period of, of history, how that number increases, doubles even. Um, and by the end of it, it's like a, almost a tripling, quadrupling effect. And I thought that was very effective. Also, her use of music and her use of hip hop to tell the story of incarceration. And excuse me if this offends you, but the word nigger or the word Negro being associated with criminal. She does a wonderful job of making that association clear. What I will say is this. There's one particular story for me that really solidified it. Everything was working. It was beautifully directed. All the right questions were asked. It was just moving along. And I had taught African-American studies and was an African-American studies minor in college. And so most of the things that she was talking about, especially the early things, you know, I was like, oh, yes, yes, yes. And you nod and agree. But there's one particular story that I won't give away. I won't say who he is because it could be anybody. Yeah. This young man was assaulted basically by the, the cops and he was pinned for doing something he didn't do and was going through that process on the way up to trial that whatever process that is if you've watched the night of you know what i'm talking about yes and instead of like most people who are starting that process instead of just taking the plea bargain and just saying you know what i did it fine because as he goes through the process the years of him being in prison increase the possibility of that so most people take the plea this young man didn't take the plea spent three years in prison and then you see the result of that she shows you and displays the result on that i mean there wasn't a dry dry eye in the whole theater sniffling i was weeping i was a mess yes and it really for me it was a personal manifestation of this entire documentary of what a system that is already rigged can do to an innocent person's life especially a young man of African descent. Already, you've mm-hmm. got me, Ava. You've got yeah. me. 
and just to underscore again what you said, Ref, he was in prison. He was at Rikers wa- awaiting trial for three years. Innocent. We know this. So you'll see that. You'll know exactly what the ref is talking about with that. And everyone, we do want to note that we have her press conference from the New York Film Festival on our site. Listen to it. It's in the events section where she talks about the dignified man. Remember that, ref? Yes, I do. Uh, I've seen that footage before, but the way she used it was just devastating. It just really was. Um, Also, I do want to call attention to, as you mentioned, the use of music and the graphics. Uh, She, of course, brings in archival footage. She brings in animations. It's just using all of the great techniques of documentarians here to send a message that is timeless. Okay. It's timely and timeless. And the way it's timely now is that there's a protest in prisons right now that's not getting a lot of media play that is challenging the way we handle prisoners and it's by the prisoners yeah so it's just it's just one of those things where she is making a social a political a personal stand against a systematic disrespect Mm -hmm. of people of color that you really do have to pay attention to now now we're not we don't want to go on and on and preach here's the thing it's on netflix it is readily available to you to watch to debate to talk about to discredit to like whatever you want to do it's on netflix this friday you can check it out i highly recommend it highly recommend it if you don't have netflix you can get a trial for a month and to me you know i know you i know you listener you've been saving that trial (laughs) (laughs) go ahead and use it you got a whole bunch of other wonderful things on Netflix. Yeah, I think it will be released in a few theaters. So. Yes, it will. Now, wait a minute. We can't forget about The Birth of a Nation. Oh. You remember? Yeah. Now, and let's be clear. So, Ava DuVernay pulls this in to the movie, of course, going through that timeline. And we are talking about The Birth of a Nation from 1915. 1915, yeah. Directed by D.W. Griffith. So, the thing is, everybody, also... On October 7th, The Birth of a Nation, directed by Nate Parker, is coming out. And he uses that movie to reclaim what was done in 1915. So it's interesting, these two movies now, Raph 13, The Birth of a Nation, the 2016 version, having their own say in what started over 100 years ago now. Oh my goodness, can you believe that? Wow. Yeah, you, you can actually catch um, The Birth of a Nation 1915 in 1915 on Amazon Prime as of taping, as of release. Mm-hmm. Um, if you if you want to watch it to see what she's talking about. Um, I recommend that you do, you don't need to watch it over and over again, but just for a reference of what really sparked a massive agreement among uh, the nation at that time as to their ideas of African-Americans at that time. Yeah, it's not an easy watch, but none of this stuff is everybody. And just again to say... You don't have to agree with all of this stuff, but it's good to know. Yeah. And it's good to have a discussion. Um, And that's what 13th is really about. So, you know, I won't even get into the birth of a nation because... Nope, 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 nope. (laughs) Let's focus on this. Let's... What about this? Okay. Again, October 7th, you can check out 13th. It is a Why Watch That Recommend. Please also check out her Q&A on our site under the events category, as the critic said. You will not be sorry. In fact... You will be educated and enlightened. The Why Watch That Talk. 
All right, listeners, we are giving you the lowdown on the New York Film Festival. We're in the throes of it. You've been listening to our coverage. Let's jump right in. We've got four films that we're just going to touch on briefly, and you can catch those reviews the actual release week of each film. So stay tuned with that. Let's jump in, critic Patterson, Jim Darmish. Holy moly. I think we like it. Oh, it look, it's essentially like a poem. That's how it unfolds on purpose. It's about repetition. It stars Adam Driver as a bus driver whose name is Patterson, living in Patterson. I mean, look, and uh, a bunch of other people. You've got to see it, whether you like it or not. This is something to definitely watch, and we really enjoyed it. Yes, it's a definite recommend on our part. Manchester by the Sea, directed, written by Kenneth Lonergan. You ought to find out who the original director was supposed to be and the original star. We thought this was a knock out of the park. This, everyone's waiting for it. And let me tell you, it is worth the wait. It really is. Kenneth Lonergan, as writer-director, knocked it out of the park. The cast is spot on. Casey Affleck, Michelle Williams, Kyle Chandler, Gretchen Maul, Lucas Hedges as the young 16-year-old. Oh, my goodness. It's funny. It's devastating. It gives you everything you could ever want in a movie. Yeah, I recommend it, and so does The Critic. Tony Erdman, which is a new movie coming out. The critics love it, but we have some mixed reviews about that. You know, it's about an hour too long. Um, now, that's what I'll say. It, it will, look, when it goes that hour too long, it goes there. Now, uh, this comes to us from uh, a German director, uh, Marin Ade, I think is how you say it, and she wrote it as well. It's based, some of it's based on her experiences, but it's definitely not auto- autobiographical. Uh, this is something for an art house set. That's what yeah. it's for. Yeah, um, it can be very funny, and some of you may go, oh, no, 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 that's too much for me. And I'll raise my hand to that. Moving on to certain women. Now, the cast is stacked. You've got Kristen Stewart, Michelle Williams, Laura Dern, Jared Harris. However, this is not a recommend for why I watch that. Sorry. Ooh. Ouch. Written and directed by Kelly Reichert, based on a short story, a short story collection called Both Ways is the Only Way I Want It. Um, It's about certain women, three different stories, loosely, loosely connected, uh, living. Um, That's really it. There's nothing more to say. There really isn't any more to say, but we will have more for that week's release. We'll, We'll give you our real lowdown. Listen, the New York Film Festival is filled with wonderful films that you can catch if you're in the New York City area, if you're not, don't worry. We've got you covered here at Why Watch That. Did you know? Part one. Oh, critic. Listen, I have a did you know for you. This is quite a shock to me. Oh. Do that. I'll, I'll say it is a surprise. This actress, whom we both love, mm. beloved American actress and across the pond. I didn't say she was American, but American observed. She, growing up, had a severe, stammering, stuttering issue when she was a young child. She was a stutterer. And the only way she can overcome it was to find her voice in acting. And she says, she says, her stuttering was so bad that she likens it to Colin Firth's stammering King George in the King's speech. Oh, wow. Oh, my gosh. That was quite a stutter. Who am I referring to? (laughs) Yeah. I have no idea. (laughs) I'll give you a minute. Yeah. This episode of Why Watch That is brought to you by Audible.com. 
the leading provider of spoken audio entertainment, providing digital versions of audiobooks for download to your computer, phone, and MP3 player. Sign up today to try Audible free for 30 days and get a free audiobook of your choice. Visit audibletrial.com forward slash why watch that to get your free audiobook now and to support our show. Did you know? Part two. All right, all right, you thought about it. Listen, you're not going to guess because no. you would never, ever know that she had a problem. I have no idea. You ready for this? Yeah, I'm going to blow your mind. Oh, go ahead. Try it. She is the star of the new movie coming out this week, The Girl on the Train. No. Yes, Emily Blunt said she had a very severe, stammering, stuttering problem. Wow. She's amazing. Like, really? Did you ever picture her tripping over words? She's the most elegant actress ever. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. But seriously, yeah. My mind has been blown. I know. It's been blunt. <laughs> Back to why watch that. Hey there, listeners. We've got some TV action for you. These are new shows that you can find on television. Now, here are some you may want to watch and some you may want to avoid, but we're going to give you the lowdown. Yes, we are. <laughs> Let's start off with FX's Better Things, brand spanking new. And I hear a dream team is back together. Pamela Adlin and Louis C.K., yes, they are. And this is based loosely, I would say, on her life. Uh, she plays a divorcee with three daughters. They're all around teenage age if they're not teenagers. So you know that's crazy. And she's an actress, so you get the Hollywood part. And you get lots of great cameos. Lenny Kravitz, Constance Zimmer, Alicia Reiner, uh, Julie Bowen, and so on and so forth. This one from me, Rep, is really a pleasure to watch as a comedy. I think she strikes the fine balance. Uh, not going too far and not, you know, being laid back too much either. All right, FX, you're knocking it out of the park this season. Now, Query on Cinemax is back. Now, this is about a Vietnam vet who has an offer he can't refuse. Oh, my goodness. And that vet is played by Logan Marshall Green. I think that's wonderful casting. It does come to us from Graham Gordy and Michael D. Fuller from Max Allen Collins' uh, book, I believe. So, yes, it's 1972. He's returned with a good buddy from Vietnam, and we know the climate in the country, okay? He also... Uh, finds that his wife may not have been as faithful as he expected. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Yes. So there's some anger building for him he has to deal with. And all of this leads him into a life of crime with drugs. <laughs> Ooh, Cinemax, yeah. you know how to do that. Yeah. Now, the thing is, this is a bit slow, in my opinion. I think they could speed things up. But if you have the patience for it, check it out. See whether it works for you. It's It's fine. Okay, all right. Maybe we will, maybe we won't. Now, HBO <laughs> has high maintenance, and no pun intended, because this is maybe Weed's uh, answer on Showtime. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, and this actually started as a web series, so HBO Go, HBO Now, On Demand, you can watch the web series, and then watch this first season. This is about a pot dealer, as you said, but... 
he's not the main focus. It's actually each episode, it's a half an hour, each episode deals with two of his clients, in essence, or two separate stories. And he's just a bystander, okay? Yeah, yeah, I think that's very interesting. It's a nice take because you can choose really what you want to watch. You don't have to watch this chronologically. Uh, Some stories may be stronger to you than others, and that's fine. He has a lot of great guest stars on here. Uh, He and I believe his wife are the ones behind this. Yeah. So it works. Choose what you want. Watch the whole thing. Watch an episode. Watch three. Who cares? I, I think it's it's good actually. Remember that old show, The Hitchhiker, on HBO? <laughs> <laughs> the Good Place on NBC, we're going to go to a lighter note, um, oh. is on Thursday nights. It's trying to reclaim that must-see Thursday uh, comedy slot. And uh, we've got Kristen Bell from Frozen, who is headlining this. Yes, and this, The Good Place, is uh, the highest tier of heaven, let's say. So you have to be you have to be a, an absolutely special person in real life to make it here. And Ted Danson plays an architect of one of the good places neighborhoods which brings in Kristen Bell this is his first time building it so we know what happens uh huh problem one of the major problems is Kristen Bell makes it in and she doesn't belong she's taking someone else's spot so in this good place you get a wonderful house to your preference you get a soulmate as well her soulmate is played by none other than uh, William Jackson Harper. Okay, but Uh-oh. that's not her real soulmate because she's not supposed to be there. So her presence creates havoc in this neighborhood, and she's not the only one. Uh-huh. So the thing is, everybody, to know whether you're going to like this, I really think you need to make it to the third episode. Um, for me, it's okay. I just think that with an, a concept this broad, it's hard to harness it. And I don't know that they found the right tone yet, but they might. Let's move on to ABC's Speechless. Headlining this show is Mini Driver about a family with a special needs kid. And that kid uh, seems like he's a little more advanced than the family sometimes. <laughs> that's, that's right. Uh, he has cerebral palsy. So essentially, he can't speak out loud, uh, but he's whip smart. And uh, instead of using a computerized voice, he wants a human to speak for him. And he wants a cool human. Well, the first <laughs> person he gets is not. But at the end of the first episode, you'll see the change. And it's a nice welcome surprise. So he's going to have his voice. And it, really, I think that this this works rather well. Uh, this is another sitcom that you can drop in on, drop by, just take a look and enjoy it. It gives you a bit of warmth along with that edge. So it's a nice balance. Not too edgy, not too warm, just right. Alright, Easy on Netflix, created by Joe Swanberg, is there for your liking. It's about the ins and outs of Chicago life, of relationships, of hookups, of Whatever else is going on on yeah. Easy Street. <laughs> <laughs> you called it right there. And if you know Swampberg's work, you know it's very naturalistic, uh, improvisational. We get that here. I, I think this is another show here that you can pick and choose. But I was surprised by how well it worked from the beginning. Uh, okay. this, this is another one where you get a lot of different people playing different characters. A lot of names you know, some you don't. So check it out if you have Netflix. Why not? You'll find out whether you like it or not. For me, it's something I can come back to periodically and enjoy. Well, Jeremy Slater is bringing us The Exorcist on Fox. Now, you know I will not be watching that, 
but you did, and you think it's worth a watch. I can't co-sign, but let's see. <laughs> yes, with this uh, caveat, it's a Friday night show. So if you want Friday night horror, no surprises. You know what you're going to get. It does what it needs to do. Gina Davis is in it. I mean, that's enough for me. Also, she so she plays a, a mother of two daughters, and she don't know who's possessed. Maybe it's both oh, of them. Oh, boy. Mm. Acting or is it just strange. teen angst? <laughs> uh, yeah, there you go. Who, now, there you go. Now, Alfonso Herrera plays uh, the local Catholic priest that she goes to for help. He gets connected with Ben Daniels, who plays another priest who's an exorcist. <laughs> yes. So, you know, they're yin and yang, different uh, sides of the same coin. So can they all work together to figure this out or not? Oh, Luke Cage on Netflix is here, and this is the spinoff or the third installment of The Defenders that's coming at you. Luke Cage has his own. We both got a chance to see this. Do we recommend it? That's the real question. I could only make it to the third episode, and then I had to stop. The writing just gave me problems. I like Luke Cage better in Jessica Jones. I think it's too many lines for him here, and I think a lot of the lines are just not efficient enough for this show. Um, I love Alfre Woodard in it, though. I think that Mahershala Ali does a good job in it. I think that old boy playing chess. Frankie Faison. Him, along with the old boy playing chess, who's in This Is Us right now, was in Mr. Robot. Great. But then there are some problems here for me that I just cannot recommend it. I mean, if you have Netflix, why not? Check, check it out. Daredevil's still the one for me. My two senses, if you want to prepare yourself for the Defenders, if you can make it through it, fine. But it is a challenge. I have to agree with you, Critic. Ending this, HBO's Westworld, where they spent $100 million getting this show together. Mm. I mean, the deck is stacked. J.J. Abrams is behind this. And also the creators are a husband and wife team. The Nolans. No, we're not talking about Christopher. We're talking about Jonathan Nolan and Lisa Joy Nolan. Take it away. So the hundred million, when you see the pilot, twenty-five million went into that, and it shows. Okay, if you know the Nolan aesthetic, you get it here. And this first episode, that's all we have, is all about world building. So what we have is a park for rich people where they can play out their uh, wild west fantasies. They have androids who are the characters. You can harm the android if you visit the park. The android can't harm you, but androids can harm other androids. So what happens is we have a star-studded cast. Evan, yeah, Rachel, Evan Rachel Wood plays the android who's a damsel in distress. Tandy Newton plays the madam. Jeffrey Wright plays an engineer, essentially the one who's in charge of the androids, how they perform. We have James Marsden as an android. We have Anthony Hopkins as the creator. We have Ed Harris as a villain, but he's not an Uh-oh. android. And he wants to get down to the bottom of this. He has his own motives, and he's not afraid to kill to get there. So what I would say is this. If you're interested in these sci-fi themes of mm, what's existence, mm, what's it to be human, mm, what's free will, check this out. And I'm excited to see what they do next. I hope they keep it up. Oh, well, I'll tell you what. It's a Game of Thrones replacement. I think that's what they're going for. Listen, if you want to check out some fall TV, you had better take a look at this list because we got you covered here at Why Watch That. And now, the pick of the week. Well, 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 you know, it has been a long time coming. 
The ref does have a pick of the week for us. I do, I do. It is The Imitation Game, which was directed by Morton Tildum, written by Graham Moore, starring Benedict Cumberbatch, Kira Knightley, Matthew Good, Rory Kinnear, Charles Dance, Mark Strong, and others. Ah, this is a good one, ref. Go ahead, tell us about it. Now, listen, this is available right now on Netflix. You can catch it. It was nominated, and so was Benedict Cumberbatch. This is the story, well, not loosely, it is based on the great mathematician Alan Turing. He, along with some others, really have a huge task at hand. It is World War II. Mm. And the Nazis are winning in Europe. They are devastating um, various countries. And it looks like the Nazis are making their way to England. And England's the only country that thinks they can stop Hitler and his gang of cohorts. Alan Turing is a legendary crypt analyst. He is a very off-putting man. He does not work well with others. Of course not. No, but the British government bring him on because of his abilities to be able to crack codes. Yeah. And what we find through the movie is Alan, during the 40s, basically three phases of his life, he is put to task to try and break this specific code that the Nazis are using. And every time the Nazis win with this code, a major city gets bombed. So really, he's working against time, and he's working against an army, basically, by himself. But he does bring along, and the government as well, bring along some of the brightest brains of England, including Kira Knightley, a woman. Yeah. A brilliant mathematician. Now, the sub-story with that is this. Kira Knightley and Benedict Cumberbatch, she has a fondness for him. But she doesn't know that he has a secret that um, he isn't really willing, a personal secret, willing to unleash. Now, that's the undercurrent. Moving on to the plot. Now, he has designed this big, huge machine. And every time they get, they intercept uh, a message from the Nazis, he tries to feed it into the machine, and it's not quite working. The movie goes, they're losing the battle, they're losing ground, people are dying, people they know are dying and the team is really falling apart. The, the government is will is um, on the cusp of yanking um, the team off of the project. But Benedict Cumberbatch, Alan will not stop. And he is pretty obsessive. And <laughs> you can say is, that. He does not work. I mean, he butts up against the government, butts up against his um, officers, and really throws his life into finding out if he can break this code. Now, by the end of the movie, we all know what happens. We all know the result of World War II. He broke the code. Oh, yeah, he he did. And he was able to create a machine that would continually break those codes. And they really say it's the dawn. It's the very, very base level of what we know as the modern computer. Yeah. Now, you think the story would end there, but there is a dark secret that Alan Turing has been living with his entire life that makes it impossible for him to have a relationship with the woman he truly loves in an endearing way, um, Kira Knightley's uh, character. And you see, I'm not going to give it away, but I'm sure you can figure it out. Mm. You see what his life of being this war hero turns into because of this dark secret and you find out all of the cures 
that he has to endure to help manage this dark secret. And then the end result is that. Now, that sounds like a doom and gloom. The majority of the movie isn't. The majority of the movie is about Benedict Cumberbatch's character trying to fight this machine. He really is going against himself. He's going against the Nazis, but he's trying to figure out this machine and the pressures of the world is on him. It is beautifully played by Benedict Cumberbatch. It, it, it's essence of Sherlock, that thinking, that high thinking, that stickamathia that he has among the, the the characters. You've got, you know, the old boy from Downton Abbey showing up and, and <laughs> doing some dirty-handed stuff. Um, yeah. you've, got, you've got all kinds of beautiful uh, acting going on here. Is it riveting? No. It's a perfect Netflix movie. It's a perfect movie. If it's raining outside, go ahead and pop that in. Or, or at this point, you can stream it. You're going to get some great performances you're going to get benedict cumberbatch being smart and witty and you're also going to get a little bit of history and a little bit of knowledge to find out how world war ii was actually won according to the brits <laughs> <laughs> yeah so again the invitation game everybody streaming now on netflix we recommend that you check it out on a rainy day or not with the spotty Another Why Watch That Sneak Peek. Hey, listeners. Now, now, now. The critic and I got a chance to see a sneak peek of a movie that is going to rock the nation, hopefully in a good way. Um, It's called The Birth of a Nation, and you've heard about it. It stars, written, and is directed by Nate Parker. And produced. And produced. I mean, he did everything. He spent uh, over a decade on this project. And he stacked the deck as far as cast goes with Army Hammer, Coleman, Domingo, Asia, Naomi King, Esther Scott, and Junie Ellis. I mean, good gracious. This kind of goes on and on and on. And the reason why I'm sort of bouncing around with this, it's one of those movies, it's one of those films that you will stop, pause, and say la. Well, I guess it's time for me to say la. Um, let me just say this, ref, for our podcast we know this controversy. We don't do it. Okay? That's right. We focus on the work. So the controversy is up to you. We're going to focus on the work. We were talking about this, ref, and I liken what Nate Parker did in this movie to uh, what a prosecutor does. And not a Hollywood prosecutor. A real, average prosecutor in the courtroom. And in this case, Nate is presenting Matt Turner's case. And we all know who stands accused. So here we go. I'm going to break the plot down just like that, like a prosecutor. Exhibit A, Matt Turner, we know in the beginning of the movie, is special. And he's special not only within African tradition. We see that he's born with this special thing. They have a ceremony for that. But also within American tradition. He has an aptitude for reading. And his master's wife, played by Penelope Ann Miller, wonderfully played, actually, she encourages it. She teaches him how to read, and she encourages him to become a preacher to the slaves on the plantation. All right, so he's special. Exhibit B, because he's special, he's used. First of all, everybody, he's not a house slave. He's in the field. That's right. Then his new master is actually his old master's son. Who he played with. He had a relationship with. 
Exactly. And played by Army Hammer as the adult version. He's in debt. He needs to make some money. So at this time, there's a drought or something going on in the area of Virginia that they're in. The masters are feeling like the slaves are on edge. They're on edge. They want everything to be calm. So another pastor, a white pastor, (laughs) in, and that's played by Mark Boone Jr. He comes in and he tells Army Hammer, hey, look, you should just sell out Nat. You can make money, you can get out of debt, and everything will be cool. So that's what happened. So he's in the field, except for when he's traveling with his master in a wagon to these plantations to keep the slaves calm. By preaching to them. Mm -hmm. By preaching, that's right. Now, Exhibit C, uh, along with the traveling preacher, since he's traveling to these other plantations, he witnesses how truly vicious slave masters can be. Because his slave master isn't as vicious. Exhibit D. He might be special, but that doesn't mean that he's safe. And neither are the people around him, the slaves around him, because he is punished for following the very words he's encouraged to preach. Mm -hmm. And his family, including his grandma, played by Esther Scott, as you said, his mother, played by Anjanue Ellis, as you said, his wife, played by How to Get Away with Murders, Asia Naomi King. He has a daughter, his friends, who are married, Coleman Domingo and Gabrielle Union. They aren't safe either. Things happen. Okay, so Exhibit E, the last one I'm going to give you, what's he supposed to do? He's a man of God. And contrary to what the whites are saying about what's in the Bible, he read it. Okay, he read the Bible. He knows what's in there. So for everything they say that supports slavery, he knows there are plenty of things that do not. And that's where that white preacher comes in as well. So yeah, and to place on top of that, he also receives visions Mm-hmm. as well and and the real nat turner because i i used to teach african-american studies the real nat turner is said to just like harriet tubman receive certain visions of what his future will be and what the future of his people will be and how he will assist in moving those things forward so not only is he having a very natural experience but we see he's also having some sort of supernatural experience to really solidify his call that's beautiful also This isn't about vengeance. There's even a line in there, Ref, in the movie where he references that. No, it's about God's justice. And he's fine being a martyr. It's not about him anymore. And he leads his fellow slaves in an uprising, as we all know from history. And it's in a methodical way. We see that play out. Now, there are some things for the defense. Okay. Of course, we have the white perspective and we have variations of the white masters and their kin. We have Jackie Earl Haley, who plays a slave catcher, for one. Despicable, of course. We have that level. We have another level, which is sympathetic. Penelope Ann Miller's wife, the master's wife. Okay, she's not down with all of this harsh stuff. Then we have the in-between, which is Army Hammer's new slave master character who's conflicted. You know, he doesn't quite know what to do. We also have... The main house slave, played by Robert Gwinver Smith, who goes, look, you're going to get us all killed. Yep, 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 yep. I mean, that's beautifully laid out. My take is 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 this. It's, it's not quite as laid out as yours, because that plot was beautiful. My thing is this. When you go to see this movie, yes, there are some tough things to watch, but that's kind of like any other movie you've seen, dealing with a revolt or a revolution. Um, there's some difficult or challenging concepts to process, just like every other movie you've seen dealing with revolution and revolt. I like in this movie, if you like Braveheart, oh, directed, written, produced, all of that by Mel Gibson, mm. 
you will like The Birth of a Nation, period. That's why we have the show. Why watch that? You will like this movie if you like Braveheart. Same kind of concept. Go through the very plot line of Braveheart and you will find the very plot line of The Birth of a Nation. You will find that the result of Mel Gibson's character, uh, Wallace, to revolt and to free his people from oppression is exactly Nate Parker's and Nat Turner's motivation for freeing his people from oppression. And once you look at it through those lens, I believe, you'll take this movie as a film and as it is. Now, what you do with its comments and what you do with the surrounding situations with it, that's totally in your lap. But we're talking about this as a film. It is well done. Is the writing perfect? Absolutely not. Um, is any film's writing perfect? No. no. It's acted well. It's shot well. The editing was, was wonderful. It had an interesting texture to the movie, um, meaning the, the actual technicolor was an interesting kind of blue overtone to it. But the sweeping views of the cotton, gorgeous. I mean, in the beginning of the film, it almost seems like a happy place to be. Obviously, yeah. it isn't. But Nate Parker really set you up for the end. And that's exactly what Mel Gibson did in Braveheart. He laid it out for you for this end revolt and then the whole martyrism that happens as a result of that. And then also, without giving away the movie, the reason why it's called The Birth of a Nation, you will find out at the end of the movie why the title is. That's right. So, and, and same thing with Braveheart. Now, is this worth $15? I will say this. When I went to the movie theater at 42nd Street to see Crash, it was a social gathering of people to see something that was going on in America at the time. And we all had an experience together. It's going to be that way with The Birth of a Nation. Now, some of you were like, I ain't going to movie theater to see that because, you know, I don't know. Well, here's the thing. This movie, to me, isn't meant to be watched for the first time alone. Because it can spark some sort of emotion that you just you just want to process it with someone. And if you feel like, you know, you're brave enough to go to a movie theater and to process with, with people, I think it'll be a great experience for the average moviegoer. Would, you, would I pay $15 to see it? Absolutely, yes. Do I think you should? I absolutely think you should. Yeah, and I, I completely agree with you. I, I probably will see it again in the movie theater. Um, let me review it now because I just gave the plot quickly because you said some beautiful stuff. Uh, this is going to surprise a lot of people, Ref, in its presentation. Nate Parker, everybody, if you know his work as an actor... Really, what he's done here is just taken all of that into being director, writer, all of the stuff we said, producer. He's a thoughtful person. He has a quietness to it. And that works in uh, this movie's favor. So it's done simply. It's done straightforward. It's just, this is what it is, okay? It's unforced. Um, you talked about the shots. They are beautiful and devastating. There's one at the end, which I know you know what I'm talking about. It's absolutely haunting. Mm -hmm. That tracking shot. Uh, yes, it has flaws. Even like in the middle, some of the music to me, I didn't need it. But so what? That's not the point. And even at the end, I was thinking of glory. You talked about Braveheart. Like the end, you think glory. Oh, my goodness. So whatever the flaws are, it's immaterial because the message is clear. And my final point is this didn't have a big budget. And I just want to say that I've been talking about this with TV and I'm going to bring it here to film. Restrictions give filmmakers the opportunity to be creative out of necessity. So what he chooses to show and what he doesn't choose to show, it really adds something special to the birth of a nation. So 
Uh, just as the ref said, definitely, definitely see this in the theater. Definitely see it with people that are close to you. And you'll have to take a, a few moments when those credits are rolling to gather your thoughts and then have a discussion. That's right. This comes out October 7th this week, The Birth of a Nation, in a theater near you. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, visit whywatchthat.com. Good idea. And we'd love to hear from you. So go ahead and leave comments, feedback, and you can rate us on iTunes. We'll see you next week. See you.